Good morning. How are we doing? Uh, my name is Pastor Kevin. If I haven't had the chance to meet you or greet you this morning, I hope to do that today. Uh, let me just say thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for, for being here today. We're blessed and honored to have you uh, worshiping with us uh, here at Restoration Church. Uh, for me, it's good to be back. I've been on vacation the past two Sundays. Um, we might have been in the Caribbean in 80-degree weather. We may. There's no confirming or denying that. Unless you were on Facebook, then you might have saw some pictures of, of me in the Caribbean. And as much as we enjoyed our time away, uh, it is so good to be back uh, because this is home. And uh, this is the place that I, I, I look forward to being in. So I'm just uh, thankful for uh, this opportunity to be back. I want to uh, recognize Jim Herring and Dan Brown. Thank those guys for uh, preaching the past couple of weeks and uh, did a great job. And uh, I caught both of those sermons on our podcast. If you ever miss a, a sermon here and you want to hear what's going on, uh, online, uh, through our website or through iTunes. You can catch any of our messages online. Uh, Jim, uh, Dan, thank you guys for stepping in. You guys knocked it out of the park and uh, probably made me look bad by come, having to come back up here. I'm sorry you guys have to go back to me, but that's just uh, what happens. You know, I got an iPhone app on my phone uh, a few months ago. It's called Time Hop. And what this app does is, is you connect this app to your social media account. So you connect it to your, your Facebook account and your Twitter and your Instagram. And, and it connects to the pictures you take on your phone. And, and what happens is when you log on to this app, it goes back to whatever date it is. So today's the 31st. And it'll go back to January 31st from the last as many years as you've, as you've been on social media. And so you can look back and see, oh, I posted two years ago, I posted Go Seahawks or uh, whatever it happens to be that you posted from years past. And so I think my history on Facebook, I think my Facebook account started because somebody in my family was trying to play a game and they needed an extra live. I don't know if there's any confirmation to that or not. Uh, but when I finally took over my Facebook account, it's got six, seven, I don't know, eight years, something like that. And so I, I pulled this, this app up the, a couple days ago, and there was a video that popped up that I had posted on Facebook a number of years ago. And this, this video was of my son Cameron. Uh, when my son Cameron was six, seven, eight years old, somewhere around there, we did what any good parent does, and we put him in the YMCA Basketball League. And so uh, this was a big year for him, because this year they moved him up to the tall, like regular, regulation height basketball uh, hoops, standards, all right? And so, so this was a big deal for him. So we did what any good parent's going to do. I, I got out there and I, and I, and I shot baskets with him and I, and I worked with him and I trained him and I, and I taught him how to do it. We took him to practice and, and he learned from the coach and he learned from us other uh, players and he's getting into learning how to play this game of basketball. And so it came time for the game. And again, uh, like any good dad, I've got my video camera out. This is before the day of smartphones. And so I had my video camera out and, and he's in the game and I'm recording the game. And I notice Cameron is playing post, which means he's, he's right by the basket and he's, he's wide open. And so the kid with the basketball takes it and passes it down to Cameron. And I don't know where the rest of the kids on the other team were. They must've been looking at something in the crowd or, you know, that's what happens when you play that age group. And so he's wide open and he gets the ball and he shoots it and it bounces off the backboard. It comes right back to him. And again, the kids are still paying attention to the crowd. So he gets the ball again, and he takes a second shot and makes it into the basket. And I think this was his, for his first basket. Now, sometimes one of the things I have a hard time doing is I have a hard time multitasking. All right? And so I'm supposed to be recording on this camera, 
but I see my son make a basket and I just go crazy. And so when you watch this video, you know, he scores and all of a sudden you hear, yeah, go Cameron, yeah, buddy. And you watch the video and you're like, dude, that guy's going crazy. And then you realize it was me. I forgot I was recording and I'm just going cheering and going crazy. And this was what shows on the video. See, as a father, when your kids get it, like when you have been working with your kids and you've been teaching them and training them and, and working with them, and when they finally get it, when they finally put it together, man, that's a joyous time. That's a cause for, for celebration. That brings such joy for me to see my kids as they have learned and, and, and listened to what I've taught them and, and putting it into practice. Man, that causes such a, 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 a moment of full joy where I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to celebrate because they're getting it. And that's exciting to me. So this morning, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Philippians. Uh, the book of Philippians. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up and there's an usher in the back and we can come and bring one of those to you. Um, the past couple of weeks, we've been in a sermon series that we've titled Joy. And it's, it's a study looking at the book of Philippians. Now, well, the book of Philippians is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, to the Christians in, in Philippi, hence the book of Philippians. And Paul, what he was doing is he was writing this letter while he was sitting in prison. He was in prison because he was sharing his faith. And they said, you can't do that. And so he's sitting in prison and he's potentially facing a death sentence. Only for proclaiming the message of Christianity. And it's in the face of that difficulty. It's in the face of that potential uh, death sentence that Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Philippi about having joy in their faith, about having joy in the church. And today, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, looking at verses 12 through 18. And what I love about this is Paul is going to talk about the joy of obedience. He's going to look and he's going to say, those Christians in Philippi, man, they're beloved to me. They're, they're special to me. I love them. I care for them. And when they have joy, when they have obedience, there is a joy that comes over Paul. But he says, I'm going to have that joy of obedience. And he says to us that when we are obedient, we as well will have joy in our obedience. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 18. You can read in your, your Bible. We also will have the words up on the screen up here. And here's God's word. It says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ Jesus, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. That is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, just thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. God, thank you that you still speak today. 
God, through your word, you still speak to us today, God. And I know this is what we need to hear, God. I know that we are here today, not because we want to hear the opinion of a pastor, but God, we're here because, God, you want to speak to us. And you want to uh, help us to grow deeper in love with you. So, God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, God, that you would give us understanding and that you would give us clarity, God. I pray that you help us to put the distractions out of our minds, that we could lean in. And that, God, you would speak to us and we would hear and listen. God, we love you and we praise you. And, God, I plead for your presence with us now. In your holy and precious name, God. Amen. So, Paul begins this section of this passage with the word, therefore, in verse 12. Now, this word, therefore, is a word that's called a conjunction. And what that means is, is a conjunction means, when there's a conjunction, it means what I'm about to say is related to what I've just said. So if we think back to what Dan Brown got to preach on last week, what, what Paul is doing is saying, what I'm about to say is related to what we talked about last time. And so if you remember, uh, Dan taught us that Paul was beginning to address a problem that had arisen at the church at Philippi. He was addre- addressing the disunity that was beginning to occur in that church. And so if you remember last week, Paul was, was talking and he's saying, hey, Christians, the church, we are supposed to live in unity. He's saying, and we're supposed to uh, uh, humbly count others more significant than ourselves. Christians, we're supposed to look, to look to the interests of others before our own interests. He's saying, hey, because what we wrote last time, because Jesus came as a perfect example of humility. Because Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. He lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. Because Jesus, because he humbled himself and he went to the cross to die as a substitute in our place to pay the penalty for our sin, which was death. And because Jesus rose from the grave in victory, conquering sin and death and Satan and hell. Because God has exalted Jesus and one day every person on the universe will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what Paul said. And Paul's saying, because of these things, because I said all of these things, this is what I want you to listen to. I want you to live your life like Jesus. I want you to live your life with Jesus. I want you to live your life for Jesus. And I want you to live your life by the power of Jesus. He says, therefore, because of all these things, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. See, if you remember, Paul had planted the Philippian church 10, 11 years prior to this. He had a long history with this church. And he had a, the Philippian church had a history of obedience to Christ and obedience to the gospel. And now, now that there's some problems that have arisen up in the church, Paul, he's sitting in prison over 800 miles away from Philippi, so he can't come and visit them. So Paul urges them to demonstrate their obedience even more now in his absence. And specifically, this is how he says, he says in verse 12, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, work out your own salvation. Now, I want to be clear about what this says and what this does not say. Because Paul does not say, work out for your salvation. 
He does not say work toward your salvation. He doesn't say work at your salvation. We need to understand as Christians, salvation is a gift from God. You know, you and I, we don't do anything to become a Christian. We, 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 there's nothing that we can do to be made right to God. You can't earn your way into heaven. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're a good person. Doesn't matter if you go to church. Doesn't matter if you give money to the offering. Doesn't matter all these things. Salvation comes only as a gift from God. Because God's gift, Jesus, he did all the work for us. Jesus, he lived the sinless life. Remember that you and I were supposed to live. He died as a substitute in our place, taking the penalty for our sin. And he rose from the grave in victory. And Jesus says that that victory is given to us if we trust in him. That is where Christianity and salvation comes from, is by trusting in him. Salvation very clearly is a gift from God. It's a a gift of grace. We don't do anything to make ourselves Christians. We just trust in Jesus. And so what Paul says, what he means when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's just kind of as a continuation of what Paul said in chapter 1, verse 27. In chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians, Paul said, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. See, what it's saying by work out your salvation. See, if if I were to come to you and I say, you know, I'm going to go work out my arms. I'm going to go work out my arms. I'm going to go to the gym, lift some weights. For me to work out my arms, there's an assumption that I have to have arms, right? Because if I didn't have arms, you'd probably throw me in a lake and call me Bob, okay? I mean, that's just the way it would work out. I like that one. I've been waiting for you to use that one for a long time. If you're going to work out something, there's an assumption that you have that. So if I'm going to work out my arms, I've got to have arms to work out, okay? If I'm going to work out my legs, I've got to have legs to work out. And so Paul's saying, work out your salvation, something you already have. Work it out. Let's just, let me just step back here for a second. See, what happens is when you and I, when we place our faith in Jesus, there's this theological term that takes place. And it's a term called regeneration. And regeneration, this means that what God does is he takes our cold, hard hearts. He takes our hearts that are made of stone that are rebellious, that are stubborn, that are wicked, that are sinful. And he takes our hearts and he changes our hearts. He gives us new hearts. He makes us new. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that we become a new creation. That the old us is gone and the new us has come. See, Proverbs tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked. And on our own, none of us can do good. None of us can turn to God on our own. And so what God does in in that moment of regeneration is he takes our cold, hard hearts and he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new nature. And we begin to change from the inside out because of what God has done. And what happens is when we have this new nature, uh, with this new heart comes new desires. Things that we used to desire, sin and foolishness, those things often become replaced and we begin to desire godly things. And so you'll hear people say things like this. You'll hear people say things like this. They'll say, I was doing drugs. And then I met Jesus. Then I no longer wanted to do drugs anymore. 
I was sinning. I was rebelling. I was foolish. And then I met Jesus and everything changed for me. I used to have a desire for certain things, for sin and, and rebellion. But now it's weird to have this appetite to read God's word. I have an appetite to go to church. I have a desire to have change in my life. And, and, and we just begin to totally change from the inside out. This is what regeneration does. God takes our old nature and he gives us a new nature with new desires, new passions. This is what Paul says in verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, your will, that's your motivation. That's what motivates you. That's your passion. That's your desire. That's what motivates you to action. And it says that God doesn't just strengthen your will. He doesn't just say, I'm going to make you a little bit stronger. No, it says he goes deeper than that. That God works in us both to will and to act. He doesn't merely work through us. He works in us. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, all right, so if God changes me and he works in me and he gives me these new desires, what about free will? I mean, don't I have free will? I mean, aren't I supposed to have free will? There's a church father by the name of Augustine, and he's, he wrote about this idea of free will. He said, our deeds are our own because of the free will producing them. Absolutely. But they are also God's because of his grace of causing our free will to produce them. See what he did there? He says elsewhere, uh, Augustine says, God makes us to do what he pleased by making us desire what we might not desire. See, truthfully, I don't want free will. I want God's will. I know God is good. I'm not. I don't want free will. I want God's will. I want what is good. And why does God, why does God work to both will and to, to work in us? Verse 13 says that he does this for, our, for his good pleasure. See, God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you a darn thing. But here's the thing, God is good. God is good and he takes pleasure and he delights in doing good. God is pleased to do good for you and I. He wants to save you. He wants to help you. He wants to change you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to convict you. He wants to instruct you. He wants to transform you. He wants to change your desires. He wants to change and transform your heart from the inside out. God loves doing that. And, his mo and that is his motivation in changing us. And so what Paul's saying here in these two verses, verses 12 and 13, he's saying because of all these things we've talked about, because the fact that we're supposed to live humbly, because the fact that Jesus came humbly as our example and as our sacrifice, because of these things, now you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, this whole idea is a process Another one of those theological terms that is called sanctification. And what sanctification means is that our faith begins to mature and to grow so that we become more like Jesus. See, so many people, they get stuck here on this idea. They get stuck trying to figure out the relationship between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. They get stuck trying to figure out, man, is God sovereign? Is he the one that does all the work or, or, or is it man's responsibility? And they get stuck trying to argue and figure out where is it? And God would say it's both of those things. It is both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. 
See, working out our salvation, this is how we react to God. When you and I work out our, our, our salvation, this is how we react to God. He initiates a work in us. He works his will into our life. And our responsibility is to respond. Picture it like this. I read a theologian this past week, and he, he described it like this. He said, picture the two wheels on a bike, or the two pedals on a bike. You've got the two pedals on a bike, okay? God gives you a new nature, so you respond by living according to it. God gives you new desires, so you respond by fulfilling them. God gives you gifts, so you use them for ministry. God gives you a new power through the Holy Spirit, so we're supposed to live by the Holy Spirit, not by the power of ourselves in a way that we were completely incapable of pleasing God beforehand. Because God is at work in you, because God has started something inside of us, we are to respond. We're to obey. We're to live it out. We're to work it out. This is, this is the way that the faith works. This is sanctification as a process. God initiates a work in us, and we obey, and we live it out. You see, Paul knew that for those Philippians who were having some problems in the church, the only way that they were going to live in unity, The only way that that Philippian church was going to make a difference in the city of Philippi, the only way that they were going to make a name for Jesus was uh, was through their obedience and through their living out of their faith. It's by desiring the things that God desires, by submitting to the things that God's word commands, through prioritizing the things that God prioritizes. So joy of obedience comes from working out our own salvation. But Paul is going to warn us something of, of this idea of working out of salvation. He's going to give us a warning of something that hinders God's work both in our lives and in the church. He says in verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Grumbling. You can look up this word in the original biblical text. And it can mean two different things. It can mean complaining. That's easy enough to understand. We would understand somebody who's complaining. They're a verbal complaining. I mean, easy to spot. But this word grumbling can also mean a secret debate or a secret displeasure not openly avowed. You can picture a toddler. Picture a toddler. A toddler can sit there and cry. Or you ever had a toddler, you told a toddler to do something, and this is how they respond. Maybe that was your teenager this morning. Your spouse. See, there's, there's, there's a couple different ways for us to grumble. There's an outward complaining, but there's also the standing back, crossing our arms, displeasure looking in our face. Like that! Stop doing that right now! Oh. Disputing means arguing. And so Paul says, do all things without any of this. Without any of that. Without any disputing, without grumbling, without complaining, without debating, without arguing. And Paul's use of these two words of of grumbling and disputing is likely a reference to the Old Testament Israelites. These were people who walked around in the woods in circles for 40 years while they grumbled and they complained. 
story goes that the Israelites were, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And finally, God raised up a leader. Excuse me, God raised up, raised up a leader named Moses, who was going to, to, God was going to use to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And, and, and God shows up, and, and God, God blesses Moses, and God does all these miracles, miracle after miracle, uh, to lead the Israelites out of, out of captivity. Takes them to the Red Sea, and allows them, parts the Red Sea, and they walk across the, the, the middle of a huge lake on, on dry ground. God does all these miracles for them, time and time again, to say, hey, Israel, I'm with you. I got your back. I'm working for you. I'm, I, I'm doing this work in you. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to lead you to the promised land, which is a land that you can't even imagine how great it is. And God says, I'm going to do this for you. They should have been grateful. They should have been thankful. They should have been content with all that God had done and what all God was going to do. They should have trusted that the same God who works in us both to will and to act for his good pleasure was working things out for them. They should have understood, hey, God's trying to teach you to be content in me, to trust in me. But instead, the Israelites grumbled and they complained. They said, you know, you know, God, we don't, we don't like this food. God, we don't like the food that you have miraculously provided for us. God, God, we don't like walking. God, we don't want to walk. God, we don't like the weather. God, we don't like, we don't like, we don't like, we don't like anything, God. In Exodus chapter 16, they say, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. They said it would be better for us to be dead in Egypt than being here with what you're doing with us now, God. And Exodus chapter 17, they're grumbling and complaining, escalated into a quarrel where they pick a fight with Moses, who was their God-given leader. And do you know how long they grumbled? You know how long those Israelites grumbled? They grumbled until they died. That's one way to stop complaining. Just complain until you die. There are some people that are living their life just like that. And what a miserable life that would be. Because I'm not exactly sure, but I just, I just wonder if the Israelites, if they just would have learned to be content, if they just would have learned to trust God's plan, to trust God's sovereignty, just perhaps God would have allowed them to move on and enter into the promised land. Now, see, if I were to ask you, are you a grumbler and a complainer? I don't think anybody would raise their hand up and say, I'm a, compl- I'm a complainer. I'm a, I'm a grumbler. I'm an arguer. I don't think any of us would raise our hand and say, this is me. <laughs> we like to use positive terms. We like to say, well, I'm not really complaining. I'm just more of like a, of a half glass empty kind of person. You know, I'm more of a pessimist. So I'm not complaining. I'm just, I'm just a pessimist. Or, or maybe you've met somebody say, my spiritual gift is criticism. That's my spiritual gift. It's a virtue. (laughs) Paul is saying that that kind of grumbling and disputing, listen, it actually impedes and disrupts the work of God, both in our world and in our life. Grumbling can ruin your own soul, and it can ruin the souls of those people around you. Grumbling, complaining, destroys unity. It destroys unity. 
See, when you're complaining and when you're grumbling, when you're arguing, you lose sight of God's work in our lives. You lose sight of the fact that God is at work in you, that he is still the sovereign God. He is still in control. You completely lose sight of what God is doing, and all you can focus on is what's in front of you. Now, some of you are going to say, well, does that mean I can't ask a question? If I can't have any complaining or grumbling, does that mean I can't ask a question? Listen, there's a huge difference between asking a question and always questioning. There's a huge question. Asking a question is, hey, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. I'm a little bit confused. Help me understand what God is saying here. Can you help me understand? That's a question. We welcome questions. But questioning is more like an interrogation. Questioning is, I don't trust you. You're guilty until proven innocent. I'm holier than you, and I'm smarter than you, and until you convince me, I'm convinced you're wrong. That's questioning. There's a huge difference between asking a question and questioning. And Paul's saying this. He's saying, do all things without grumbling and disputing. He's saying, work out your faith, humble yourself to have unity in the body of Christ. And here's the result. Here's the result of our obedience and humility. He says in verse 15, he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That is what is at stake. By working out our salvation with fear and trembling, by not giving in to the temptation to complain and grumble and dispute, Paul says that when we do this, that we would be blameless and innocent before God. And that in the midst of a twisted and, and, and wicked and crooked generation, that we would shine as lights in the world. See, oftentimes what happens with us, and, I, and I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, this happens to me, is, 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 is we lose sight of our mission. We lose sight of our mission, and we become consumed with our own self-righteousness. We become consumed with our own feelings and our own hurts and our own wants and our own needs. And we forget that we are supposed to be a light to the world. We become consumed with ourselves. And we forget that we have a mission by God to be a light to the world. We lose sight of the mission. And Paul says this. Paul says, you know what? We live in a crooked and jacked up world. That's the world we live in. Just flip on the news to remind you of what kind of a jacked up world we live in. He says, we live in this world, and whether you know it or not, there are people watching you. There are non-Christians watching you. There are seekers watching you. There are skeptics watching you. You say, yes? You you say, me? And I would say, yes, every one of you in here today. There are people who are watching your life, trying to say, does Jesus make any difference at all? You've got co-workers You've got family members. You've got Facebook friends. You've got the lady at the coffee shop. You've got the lady at the bank. You've got your neighbor. People are watching you to see what difference does Jesus make in your life. Listen, if you're one of those people that are always questioning God, if you're the one who continues to complain all the time, who disobeys God, you know what those people are saying as they watch you? They say, you know what? That church, the church is a joke. 
That person is just a hypocrite. And Jesus, Jesus is a fake. Jesus can't change my life. Jesus can't fix what's gone wrong in my heart. Jesus can't fix my life. Paul says that we're to be humble. We're to be obedient to God's word, to work out our salvation, to do away with grumbling and complaining so that we can be a light to the broken world around us. You know what happens when we live as lights in the world? We become contagious. People are drawn to the light. This is what happens. See, there's a story, there's a story about Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin, he wanted to get streetlights in Philadelphia, but nobody could buy into the idea. And so what Benjamin Franklin did is he, he hung a hook outside of his house. And he hung it up there. And every night he took a lantern and he polished it. And he made it look really pretty. And every night he set that lantern on that hook and he would light that lantern. And what would happen, what would happen is, is, uh, uh, is anybody who was walking on the dark street, they could see this light from a long distance away. And they would come and stand under the warm glow of that light. And you, you know what the result of Benjamin Franklin putting that light in front of his house was? It wasn't long before all of his neighbors began putting lights in front of their house. And pretty soon the entire city of Philadelphia understood the benefit of street lights. They followed his example with enthusiasm. You see, light is contagious. And when we live as lights in our world, our light and our faith become contagious to the people around us. You know, as I think about being contagious, I think there's probably no one more contagious in their faith than a guy by the name of Bob Goff. Anybody know who Bob Goff is? Bob Goff, just a crazy guy. He wrote a book called Love Does. I encourage you to pick it up, read it. You'll get a chuckle as you read through each of those chapters. Bob Goff, I just love his, his passion to obey God's word and to love other people with no criticism, just to love people. In fact, uh, Sam bought us some tickets to go hear him speak at Riverside Christian this past week. And one of the things I loved about Bob is he said, you know, criticism is dangerous. And so what he's done on his phone is he said, I want to understand the, 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 the danger of criticism. So before I criticize anybody, I realize I'm going to pay $500 a word. And he charges himself $500 a word before he criticizes them. That'd be an expensive complaining session, I would just have to say. And so he's, he's done this. He says, I'm going to obey God. God says, I'm supposed to love people. I'm supposed to love all people regardless. And I just want to do that without complaining. And I love this because uh, he told the story that he has a school in Uganda that he, that he, that he uh, built. And he built the school in Uganda. And one, recently he's there. Bob is just this goofy six-foot white guy, just goofy-looking guy, just, you know. And, and there's a picture of him in Uganda. And, and there was a tribal leader in Uganda who came up to him carrying an AK-47. Okay, this guy meant business, all right? And here's Bob Goff in Uganda. He's this big white guy, goofy white guy. And I love it because you might think, well, what's he going to do? He takes out a cell phone and says, hey, come here, man. And he takes a selfie with the guy with an AK-47. Like, who does that? Like, who does that? And that's just his thing. Hey, I want to obey God. God says I want to love people. This guy's got an AK-47, but guess what? God wants me to love him. So I'm going to love him even though it scares the bejeebies out of me. I'm going to love him. I'm going to put my arm around him. I'm going to take a selfie with him and I'm going to put it on Instagram. How great is that? 
And you hear a story like this, and you hear a guy like this, and man, that is contagious. And when we live as lights in the world, we become contagious. And people say, I want some of what you have. Because that Jesus that you worship, he makes a difference in your life. And I want that difference in my life as well. Paul goes on, and he says in verse 16, he says, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, make me proud. He's saying, make me proud. He's saying, I've been a spiritual leader in the church at Philippi. I was a pastor there. I'm I'm a friend there. I have invested in you. And here's he's saying, live humbly. Submit to unity. Work out your salvation. Don't grumble and complain. Be a light in the world. And that will give me the greatest joy. Because that shows that my work that was with you Philippians, all the prayers I've made for you, all, all, all the teaching, everything I've done for you would not be in vain if you work out your salvation, if you put it into practice. And he says, even if my life is poured out as a drink offering, he says, even if I die, I will be glad and rejoice because of you. He says in verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He says, you too should take joy in your obedience. Joy in knowing that you are living as a light, proclaiming who Jesus is. Let me just close this morning with a couple of questions I want to ask you. First, what is Jesus doing in you? See, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'll tell you what God is doing in you. He's wanting to give you a new nature. He's wanting to give you a new, new nature. You see, some people, they come to church because they want to learn some stuff about God so they can improve your life. Listen, here's your answer. Your answer is Jesus. Give Jesus your sin. Receive his salvation. And ask Jesus to give you a new heart so that you can live a new life. Your answer is Jesus. See, I don't have some fancy five-step plan on your best life now. I can't, I can't give you some five-step plan of that. All I got is Jesus. Get connected to him. Get your sins forgiven and get your new nature for your future that God has promised to give you. Secondly, listen, if you're a Christian here, what is God doing in you? God's word has already told us that God is already at work in you both in your will and in what you do. So where is God at work in you? What is God trying to teach you? What is he trying to convict you of? What is he calling you to repentance? What are the burdens for ministry and for service that God has laid on your heart? Who are the people that God has brought into your life that you know God has brought into your life for a reason? What is Jesus doing in you? How is God at work in you? Thirdly, third question. What grumbling and what questioning do you need to repent of? What do you need to just stop complaining about? 
Listen, maybe, maybe it didn't go your way. But you've got to forgive and move on. You can't be bitter about it. You can't continually revert back to whatever it was that is so painful. What grumbling needs to stop today? What questioning needs to stop now? So you need to live your life by faith. And stop questioning God. It doesn't mean you don't have questions, but it means you stop that questioning disposition. And you are willing to submit and say, God, you're God and I'm not. And I trust that you are working things out for my good, for your pleasure. Let me conclude with this. God is good. And God delights in forgiving people of their sin. And God delights in giving them new life with, through a new heart. With new gifts and new passions and a new desire and a new power. And God wants to help you live a life that you can be proud of. He wants to help you live a life that is built on the joy of obedience. And let me tell you what, there is no better life than that. Nothing beats this life. It is a complete joyous life. It is a purposeful life. It is a passionate life. It is a meaningful life. It is eternal life. Would you pray with me? God, so many times we get Christianity so backwards. We make our faith about doing a list, about trying to, to, to be a Christian. But God, being a Christian has nothing to do with what we do. God, you have began a work in every one of us. And God, there are some here today that, God, you will want to begin the work in now. You've been preparing them for this moment You've been drawing them to yourself now so that they can put their faith in you. So that you could change them from the inside out. So you could take their, their heart of stone, of sin and rebellion, and replace it with a heart of flesh. One that is desiring uh, to follow after you. God, I pray that you help us to understand our faith isn't built on what we do. It's built on what you've done. And it's by your grace that we stand in your presence and say, I am yours. I am a follower. I am a Christian. And God, I pray that you help us to understand, though, what it means for us to work out our salvation. That God, when you begin a work in us, that God, we're to respond. That God, when you show your grace to us, that we're to respond. That God, when you, when you convict us of something, that we're supposed to repent. That, God, when your word speaks and says, this is how I want you to live, we're supposed to submit. God, I pray that you help us to submit to a life of obedience. Not obedience to earn your salvation, but an obedience out of gratitude for what you've done for us. Because you are good. Because, God, you have plans for every one of us. Plans to use us in ways that we can't even imagine if we would just submit in obedience to you. God, I pray for those who have this bitterness that they've held on to, this grumbling and complaining. God, I pray that you would break them free from that today. That, God, they would just throw that on the throne and say, God, it's yours. I'm not holding on to this anymore. God, I'm sorry for my grumbling. My grumbling against you. My grumbling against my spouse. My grumbling against my employer. My grumbling against the church. God, I'm sorry for my complaining. 
God, I trust that you are sovereign. I trust that you are working things out for your pleasure. And God, I submit to that. God, I pray as we have these next few minutes of uh, having these songs of response, God, I pray that you help us just to reflect on what we've heard today. That God, that we would respond to what you have spoken to us. That God, if we need to repent, we need to take time some time and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, I submit to you. God, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, I pray for those that are coming in with burdens. Saying, God, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed right now. God, I pray that your grace would cover them. They'd feel your presence. They would know that you are there. They would know that you're going to carry them through. As we have these next couple of minutes, I invite you just to sit in your seat if you like. Listen to the worship music. Spend some time in prayer. If you want to stand and, and, and sing along with the worship team, I invite you to do that. If you want to lift your hands up and praise God. However you need to respond to God's word, I encourage you to do that. But today, would you respond with me now? God, you are so good. God, this is when we want your presence on us now. That we would have this few minutes of just being still and silent before you. That you would cement what it is you've done in our hearts today. God, we love you and we praise you. And God, I ask this in your holy and precious name.